Does the Bible teach about two different virgin births throughout its history? Isaiah 7 contains a popular Christmas prophecy that may have more to it than people often think. And that's what we're going to talk about today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University, and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. You are listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and I am Tyler, and we're here with Robbie as well. Uh, it's good to be here, Tyler. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, yeah, today we are going to be talking about our last topic in our Christmas series. Uh, it's going to be focused on the virgin birth and Jesus. Uh, just around Christmas time, we just figured that this would be a nice way to wrap up uh, our Christmas series to focus on birth prophecy. Yeah, I'm really excited about talking about this one today. It's it's uh, it's kind of mind-blowing, actually. As we were talking about it, yeah. I get excited recapping and, and going through our notes on this, and so I'm really excited to, to share this with our listeners today. Yeah, it's, it's super exciting. I, I love doing this podcast every week, too, because uh, I've even it's over the some of the stuff I already know that we're going through here, uh, it's still it's so cool when it all comes back to you when you're talking about it and thinking and meditating on these things. It's it's really spiritually fulfilling and it's exciting. Yeah, it really is. So uh, but before we get into the topic, uh, Robbie has another coffee tip that he is going to start us off with. So yes, uh, what listener has uh, shared this coffee tip? Well, today's listener who shared this tip which means they're winning one of our Christ Culture and Coffee mugs, is Melissa. So, Melissa, thank you so much for sharing this tip with us. This is a really interesting one, and it's based on who in the world drinks the most coffee. What country in the world drinks the most coffee? And Melissa sent me this uh, email about it, and she said, you know, I assumed America, right? Because we're number one in everything. (laughs) That's what she said. True um, patriot. Sorry for our Canadian listeners, but that is what she said. Um, But uh, actually, not even close. Not even close. You know who the number one per per capita, right, people-wise in in each country, the number one biggest coffee-drinking country in the world is Finland. 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 How crazy is that? They love coffee. Maybe we should do a remote live podcast from Finland. That just makes me wonder, too. That would be a really good idea. But that just makes me wonder, though. Is uh, how much coffee do they have to drink to to be above America? Like you got to think, they, do they just drink it with every meal? Like is coffee to them as water is to us? Or I, I don't guess- know, man. But their <laughs> number, listen, their number one, uh, number two is Norway. Wow. Number three is Iceland. Number four is Denmark. Number five is the Netherlands. Number six is Sweden. Wow. Yeah, like I wouldn't have yeah. guessed these countries. I would have guessed like Italy and France, right? Yeah, um, wow, no kidding. Yeah, Japan drinks a lot of coffee. I would not have guessed all of these North European, but but I mean, it's cold there. Wow. And so I wonder if that has a lot to do with it. I well, don't know. I mean, and I'm just thinking about it. Like we know that culturally here in the United States, drinking coffee is really big. Like it's it's huge. So like I'm just wondering 
if they if they are drinking so much coffee to be this, I'm wondering. So they say that the human body is made up of ninety percent water, mm-hmm. basically. I wonder if for the finish, if that's like ninety percent coffee, how be. much that yeah. they're drinking to top us. You that's, never know. Isn't that it's unbelievable, right? That's really interesting. Wow. Now, now, um, France comes in at number eighteen. Italy is a little better than that. They're at number 13. But honestly, the top 10 are cold wow. countries. You got Canada, Luxembourg, Belgium, oh. Switzerland, Sweden, Netherlands, Denmark, Iceland, well, Norway, Finland. That makes sense. And the, the U.S. actually comes in at 26th. Oh, my goodness. 26th. Why would, you, why would we be that far behind? That's crazy. I think it's because, uh, first of all, we have, we have more people here than in all of those countries combined, right? Right, America right. is so huge. But... Um, uh, I think it so it's based on how many people. So I think it's just that we have a lot of people who don't drink coffee. Yeah. Sa- sadly, I know some of them. I do too, actually. It, it breaks my heart, but they choose, dare I say it, tea over <laughs> coffee. <laughs> so, uh, it breaks my heart because I think we're not British. We we can't drink that stuff, but well, a lot of sin do. fall short to the glory of God. It's true. It's a sign of depravity, if it's anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> the lack of love for coffee. If you're out there uh, and you don't drink coffee, we love you, uh, and Jesus loves you, and he wants you to come to realize that coffee <laughs> is amazing and that he created it for his glory. So please, if you would consider drinking it, that would be great. Uh, and for those of you who do love coffee, let's let's get ourselves up there a little more. I mean, for crying out loud, Greece, Croatia, and Cyprus are beating us on this list. Wow. We can't have that. We need to get up a little higher. So anyways, with all that to say, we're not even drinking half as much per capita as the people in Finland. Wow, maybe that just uh, maybe it is because you mentioned that these are a lot of the top countries are cold. Yeah, like cold countries. So maybe yeah, mostly it's like, Scandinavia. Maybe you're thinking maybe it's just a way of them to to just w- keep warm. Because I don't just, know, but there's other hot things you can drink to keep warm. So that's what I, I was know, thinking man. too. But they I just guess love their coffee. You're thinking because, more popular, yeah, because it is amazing. It is. It really is. So, Melissa, thanks for that really interesting uh, tip, and uh, I will be getting you your coffee mug soon. So, Melissa, thanks so much for that. If you have a coffee tip and you would like to win one of our mugs, I was actually counting them today. We only have 10 left. Oh, wow. And so if you want to win one of our mugs, it is getting down to the wire. We're running low. So if you would want to uh, get one, send in a coffee tip to us, and we will. if we use it on the show, we'll send you out a coffee mug. Nice. And then... um, yeah, it's just it, that's that's just really cool. I'm I'm excited to see too what other tips we get in this, and then uh, just to finish out those last ten mugs, and yep. then uh, we'll see what happens from there. Yep, so. definitely. Also, one thing before we get started, we recently have created our own Instagram account. Yes. So if you're on Instagram, you can just type in Christ Culture Coffee, and you will see our stuff. We're going to be posting uh, some coffee tips. There's like this thing Tyler thought of of a Coffee Monday, kind of sharing what what coffees we're drinking. We're going to be putting links to other um, good articles and cool stuff to mm-hmm. read, uh, and then obviously promoting what the podcast is going to be about. But we do want it to be interactive, and we want to get to know you our listeners a little more through that so if you would uh follow us on instagram that would be great yes please do that and then um uh yeah be interacting too if you end up uh getting a mug go ahead and take a picture of yourself and uh tag us on our instagram account so that way we can uh we can have our podcast uh, promoted to your friends and uh um just share the love of coffee that you have as yep. well with the lord with the world from that mug that you get from us. Yep, it'd bring us joy to see you getting joy out of drinking out of your coffee mug. (laughs) Yes, it'd be awesome. So, all right, well, that's exciting. So uh, today, though, we are going to move on into our last topic, as I said before, in 
the prophecy of the virgin birth. Yeah, this prophecy is intriguing. So buckle up because this again, I don't want to scare anybody by saying this, but there's there's a little bit of technicality to this, but hang in there with us because this is such a phenomenal phenomenal prophecy sign that God gave. Um and and how he used history and how he used language to accomplish what he did is is mind blowing. And when you see this, you think there there has to be a God and there has to be somebody behind this yeah. book that we call the Bible. It, it truly is amazing. So this prophecy uh, comes out of Isaiah chapter seven. I would encourage you uh, to sometime this Christmas season read this chapter uh, and uh, see for yourself exactly what we're talking about. Um, but it starts off with Isaiah seven verse. Verses 1 through 2. And Tyler, you're going to go ahead and uh, read those for us. So do, you, do you want to read the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 7? Yeah, of course. Uh, so we got it right here. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the son, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, come up to Jerusalem and wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. All right, so a little bit of uh, context about what's going on here. Uh, So basically at this time, the Assyrian army was taking over the known world. Um, They were just this big powerhouse empire. Um, And so much so that littler countries were having to make alliances and join up to fight against the Assyrians. So what happened was uh, Syria, now again, not to be confused with Assyria, they're different, okay? So Syria and Assyria are different, uh, different peoples. But Syria and then the northern kingdom of Israel made a coalition to fight against Assyria. They joined forces to fight against Assyria. Um, now, uh, j- just just to make sure our, our listeners understand, after the time of Solomon, the, the nation of Israel had a, kind of a civil war, and they split into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom was, um, was ten of the tribes of Israel, and oftentimes that northern kingdom is called Israel or Ephraim, Mm-hmm. And then the southern kingdom is called Judah, even though it was Judah and Benjamin. Judah was the bigger tribe, so it's often called Judah. So you have the two different nations of Israel, one being called Israel or Ephraim, and the other being called Judah. So uh, Syria and Ephraim, or the northern tribe of Israel, or the northern tribes, the northern kingdom, they joined up to fight against Assyria, and they actually asked the king of Judah if Judah would join them in fighting against Assyria, but Ahaz, the king, refused to join them. And so what we have happening in Isaiah 7, 1 through 2, is that Syria and the northern tribe of the northern kingdom of Israel were mad at Ahaz for not joining their coalition, <laughs> and so they decided to attack him. <laughs> so that's what's wow. going on. You've got the, the kings of, of Syria and Israel uh, besieging the city of Jerusalem, surrounding it, and, and getting ready to attack it, or just getting ready until the people inside starve. And then they could take it over. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's that's what's going on. And um, at this time, God has prophets in Judah. Uh, the, the prophet Isaiah is actually a, a prophet to the king of Judah. And so God sends Isaiah to Ahaz to tell him 
basically, don't worry about this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with this. Uh, and that's what the next section of Isaiah 7 is about. So Tyler, let's go ahead and read Isaiah 7, uh, 3 through 9. Yeah, sure. And it says, uh, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field and say to them, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, when Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. All right, this is really interesting. God tells Isaiah to take this message to King Ahaz, right? And he tells him where Ahaz is going to be. Did you notice what it said? It said he'll be at the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Yeah. What is that? Like, that's a really descriptive place, right? Well, what's going on here? Ahaz is at this place. It's the upper pool because it's the city's water supply. So Ahaz is up there checking out how much water the city of Jerusalem has left, figuring out how long they can survive while Syria and Israel are encamped around the city besieging them. Yeah. So this wow. is this is a dire time, right? They're they're seeing okay, we've you know we've got we've got a month left, we've got a few weeks left, whatever, because our water's running out, and when that runs out. We're either going to die of thirst or we're going to try to fight these guys off. Uh, so this is a really tough yeah. tough time for them, right? And that's what a lot of um, uh, warfare would be like at the time because these cities had these huge walls around them. So it was really hard to get through or get over the walls of the cities. Right. So a yeah. lot of times um, the, the, the armies would come and they'd besiege them, meaning they'd, just, they'd set up an army surrounding them and just wait it out until they ran out of food or water. Wow, <laughs> and then yeah. they go attack him. So literally, Ahaz is up checking out the water supply for for Judah, for Jerusalem, and that's where Isaiah goes to meet him, right? And he tells him this stuff. He says, "Listen, God says these guys aren't going to beat you. It's not going to come to pass, right? Because the head of Syria is the city Damascus, and the head of Damascus is the king Rezin, right? And then he says, within sixty five years, Ephraim, that's northern, you know, Israel, the northern kingdom." will be shattered from being a people. And he says, stand firm, right? If you, if you, if you don't stand firm, you, if you don't stand firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. Trust me, I, I promise I'm going to do this. They're not going to beat you. Remember earlier on in verse 2, it talked about how the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. Yeah. That's really descriptive. They're freaked out. They are scared. They are going to get beat by Israel and Syria. Um, and then God sends Isaiah to say, no, listen, that's not going to happen. Don't worry, right? And then we get into the prophecy about this virgin birth about, that, we, that most of us know about Jesus, right? But let's, let's go ahead and read the next portion of Isaiah 7, which is uh, 7, 10 through 17. You want to go ahead and read that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. 
let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be, dis- uh, will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and, uh, and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. All right. So this is where it gets interesting because we always read that virgin birth, right? Emmanuel thing from Matthew. Yeah. But when you read it in this context, what is God saying? So, so God says, listen, these kings aren't going to beat you. And then he says, ask me for a sign. Ask me for something. I'll prove it to you. I'll show you that I'm behind this. And Ahaz says, no, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And God says, well, I'm going to give you one anyway. And this is the sign. A virgin will be with child, and she'll have a son, and she'll name him Emmanuel, right? Then it says, um, when he knows how to, uh, it says, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, which means when he's really little, before he knows how to choose right or wrong, right, the land of those two kings you dread will be deserted. Mm. Wait a second. I thought this prophecy was about Jesus. Yeah, this seems this seems to be saying there's going to be this kid born in Ahaz's time that's assigned to Ahaz, and even when this kid's little, before he's old enough to know right or wrong, uh, the the two kings, right, the king of Syria and the king of Israel, both of their lands are going to be deserted. Wow. Well, that that's interesting because that would imply that there is another virgin birth. Yeah, is there another virgin birth? Because it really seems like this sign relates to Ahaz's predicament, right? That's what right. God's promising. This is to your situation. There's going to be this kid born named Emmanuel, and before he's very old, these two these two countries are going to be obliterated. They're going to be deserted. You're not even have to worry about the people who are besieging you. Okay, so what happens here? Um, this is it's it's pretty crazy how God fulfills this. Uh, in verse 16 of this passage, it says that the land of the two kings will be forsaken. <clears throat> what happened in history is that as Syria and Israel were besieging Jerusalem, the Assyrian army came down w- while the Syrian army was gone because they're down in Jerusalem. Yeah, and Assyria went down to Damascus, which was the head city of Syria, and they started attacking it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the Syrians and the Israelites left Jerusalem to go up and fight the Assyrians, and they just got their butts kicked. Uh, they yeah. got they got wiped out. So God used the Assyrians coming down into Syria to remove the Israelite army and the Syrian army from attacking Jerusalem. That's what happened in real history. Okay. Yeah. Then wow. in in verse later in verse sixteen. It says that, you know, before this kid's old enough, both of these both of these countries will be deserted. Well, that's exactly what happened. So 
let me give you a little background. The, the, the war is called the Syro-Ephraimite War. That's when Assyria came down to Damascus, and the, the Syrian army and the Israelite army, the Ephraim army, had to leave Jerusalem to go up to Damascus and fight Assyria, and they got beat. And that happened between 734 and 732 B.C., all right? Um, by 722, Assyria had conquered both of those nations and had deported them back to Nineveh, back to Assyria. So what God said is like, listen, they're not even going to be around before that kid's very old. (laughs) That's what happened. Um, So so now now think about this. Syria and Israel are besieging Jerusalem in 734. And before this kid, Emmanuel, is born... Um, they've left, and this is what's interesting. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the the virgin birth, but what what God is saying the sign is to Ahaz is that there's gonna be this kid born, and the the crazy thing is that his mom's gonna name him Emmanuel. Why is that right. crazy? Well, if you've if you've read the Bible and you've you studied ancient history, typically people will name their kids. Uh, names that have to do with the situation they were born into. Yeah, that's usually the case. So yeah. You so think, if you're besieged, yeah. think about this. If you're besieged by two armies, you're going to name your kid something like, where is God? Yeah, we're God all going to die. Us, yeah, so, yeah. Something, yeah, something like that, right? Something really sad. Um, Israel's God, doomed. Yeah, Israel's <laughs> doomed, right? But God comes and says two things to Ahaz in this. He says, listen, kids are going to keep being born in Jerusalem, which means you're not going to be obliterated which means you're not going to be deported. Kids are still going to be born here. And actually, I'm going to turn things around and make them so good that people are going to not name their kids, we're all going to die, but they're going to name their kids God with us. Wow. I'm going to do something really quickly to show you that I'm with you. And that's exactly what happened because Assyria came and started attacking Damascus, which made the two armies leave Jerusalem and go up and defend themselves. God yeah. did that. Then this kid, Emmanuel, is born, and the, 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 the mom names him God is with us because he removed the threat of the two uh, attacking armies. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this would be a sign. And then the cool thing is, as this kid keeps growing up, he's a continual sign that God is with you. And then a few years later, Assyria obliterates both of those countries, and little Emmanuel wow. still running around because that's, God is with you. That's super cool. But but we still have the issue, though, of that, is that that would imply, though, that there's a second virgin birth. Yeah, well, let me, yes, and we're going to talk about the virgin birth uh, and, and, and get into that. But just some people will be skeptical and be like, oh, I don't know, I think this is just about Jesus. Please go read yeah. Isaiah 7. The, the sign is for Ahaz. This kid was going to be mm, born. Yeah. And and if you're still a little skeptical, in Isaiah 8.8, 8, it proves that this kid Emmanuel's around. Uh, it says, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Emmanuel is mentioned as living in Jerusalem at that time. Hmm. So there was this kid who was born of a virgin named Emmanuel, and he's actually living there as this sign, just like God had promised. So. What is going on with this? Are there two virgin births in the Bible, right? That's kind of the title of this talk. Um, I think it's important for us, before we move on, Tyler, you and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, In Deuteronomy, it talks about the true sign of a prophet. 
Yeah, right? yeah. Deuteronomy 18. And it says that uh, if somebody uh, says they're a prophet mm-hmm. and they speak, you it, it poses as a question. It says that if somebody, you know, if somebody speaks something that's not true, how are we going to know they're not a real prophet? Yeah. And God gives Israel this test in Deuteronomy 18. He says, listen, if somebody says that they're speaking in my name and the thing which they say comes true, they're a legitimate prophet. But if they say they're speaking in my name and the thing that they say doesn't come true, they're not a real prophet. Yeah. Don't be afraid of them. Stone them to death. <laughs> it, says, it says, too, if even one prophecy yeah. does. No, yeah, like, so there's like yeah. a 100% accuracy test here. And so th- this is the thing that's important for us with Isaiah here is Isaiah, people knew he was a legitimate prophet at the time because the things that he prophesied about came true at the time. Yeah. Like this uh, prophecy about this kid, Emmanuel. He was born during the lifetime of Isaiah, probably within a few months after him prophesying this. Um, actually, the verb here that's used in Isaiah 7 about the virgin being with child it indicates she's already pregnant with a kid and he's going to be born and the 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 sign is that she'll name him Emmanuel not that a virgin is going to have a kid that's not the sign in Isaiah the sign right, is she's going to name yeah. him God's with us when it doesn't seem like he is when Ahaz hears this prophecy so now let's talk a little bit about the whole virgin birth thing, all right? And this, my friends, is where it gets a little bit technical, but please stay with us because I think I think you're going to love this. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin will be with child, bear a son. She will call his name Emmanuel. When you look up the word virgin uh, from Isaiah 14, originally this was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word that they use for virgin here is the word alma, A-L-M-A, Alma. The word Alma doesn't mean um, a technical virgin. When we we say virgin, it means means someone who has never had sexual intercourse. Right. That is not what the word meant in Hebrew. The word Alma refers to a young woman, and, and the emphasis here is on young. A young woman who hasn't had a child. That's kind of the idea. Hmm. It doesn't mean a, a person who hasn't had sex. It means a young woman who hasn't had a child, okay? So that's really important for us. So when Isaiah said this, it's, it, the prophecy he's saying isn't about a virgin. It's just about, look, there's this young lady who's going to have a kid, and she's going to name her kid this crazy name, God's with us, when it doesn't seem like he is right now, but he will be by the time this kid's born shortly. That's the sign for Ahaz, right? Because the word Alma doesn't mean a technical virgin. It means a young woman who has yet to have a child. So that's important for us. But wait a second. Wasn't Jesus born of a literal virgin? Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I, he'd kind of have to be. So much theology would fall apart if he wasn't. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so and on what, top of that, the same passage is quoted in Matthew. Yeah, right? and he's referring to. So, so what's going on here, right? Yeah. And we read about in Matthew and in Luke. You know, it talks about how the Holy Spirit will conceive the child, and right. we're, it's it's talked about how Joseph's told not to have intercourse with Mary until after the child's born, right? And right, so right. that seems to be implying a technical virgin, the way we use the word virgin. So, what's going on here? Well. In Hebrew, in, in Isaiah 7.14, when he gave that prophecy, the word Alma didn't mean virgin. It meant young woman. But then 550 years 
approximately after Isaiah, there was this group of Jewish scholars, and uh, what they did is they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And this translation into Greek is called the Septuagint. Sometimes it's um, referred to as the LXX, right? The 70, Septuagint. Um, because they, the, the story goes there were 70 scholars who worked on it. So that's why it's called the 70, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's a really great translation. Jesus probably read out of the Septuagint. A lot of the New Testament authors quote directly from the Septuagint, we know, in Greek. Um, and so when the Jewish scholars translated this passage from Isaiah, from Hebrew into Greek, the Greek word they chose for the word Alma was the word Parthenos, all right? Parthenos is the Greek word they used for Alma. And this is the word that Matthew uses when he quotes this passage in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. Okay. <clears throat> now, um, let's pause right there and talk a little bit about what Matthew says. You want to read that? Do you want to read Matthew 1, 22 through 23? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. And so it says, uh, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold... The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God, which means God with us. Okay, so this is interesting. Matthew says all this took place to fulfill. You see that? Yeah, right. He says this a few other times, and this Greek word fulfill, it's got this idea of uh, to further fill up, to complete. Um, and so what he's saying is that Jesus is the fulfillment, or he's the further filling up of what the prophet already talked about. So he's, okay. he's alluding to the fact that this already happened in Isaiah's day, but Jesus is a bigger fulfillment of that sign because okay. Jesus isn't just a kid named God with us. Jesus literally is God with us. So, so he's claiming here that the prophecy still applies in two different contexts, for the time being then and then also looking to the future. Yeah, he's saying that Jesus further fills up what Isaiah said. Right, that, okay. That's kind of the idea. He's, 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 he's filling the cup a little bit more, and he's not, just, he's not just another addition to putting more coffee in the mug. He's right. the thing that, that overflows the mug because he's the complete fulfillment of God with us. Right, right. He's not just so a sign of a kid. It's kind of like big... we talked about it earlier. So it's, it's kind of like the same thing as... Uh, um, uh, with Moses and the Israelites escaping of Egypt, all the signs and prophecies that happened then that were a ref reflection of Christ to be the fulfillment of that, right? Prophecies throughout uh, Scripture like that that would be yeah. build up and lead. So, so yeah, Matthew and Matthew. He does this other yeah. places, right? Like in Matthew two oh, yeah. seventeen through nineteen, he talks about you know uh, the babies being killed in Bethlehem under Herod, and then he quotes the Old Testament and he talks about how you know Rachel is weeping for her children. Well, this comes from Jeremiah, but Jeremiah is referring to when Babylon came into Jerusalem. He's not referring to Herod killing babies in Bethlehem. But Matthew says this is a further filling up of what Jeremiah was talking about. He also uses it in Matthew 2.15 when he talks about, you know, Jesus coming out of Egypt, right? Where he says this is to fulfill what the right. prophet said, I have called my son out of Egypt. Well, he's quoting Hosea, and when Hosea is talking about that in, in Hosea chapter 11... He's referring to when Moses came out of Egypt with the Israelites. Right. But Matthew's okay. saying, listen, Jesus further fulfills those things. He's the completion of some of these signs and things the prophets talked about. And that's, yeah. that's the category of prophecy that this, this virgin birth one falls into. 
Does awesome. that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know it's I know it's complex. This is a little headier than what we normally talk about, but I think it's worth it. I think the payoff is worth it. So you've got Matthew saying this is a further fulfillment of what Isaiah had talked about, alluding to there was already a kid born. Now remember, let's go back to talking about the words. When Isaiah wrote it, the the Hebrew word Alma didn't mean a technical virgin. It meant a young woman who hadn't had a kid yet, right? Yeah. Um, right. Then when 550 right. years later, when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, the word that they chose to translate Alma into was the Greek word Parthenos. And at the time that the Septuagint writers were writing this, the word Parthenos meant uh, a young woman. It meant it meant the same thing as Alma, basically. Okay. Now this is where it gets really interesting. By the time Matthew wrote his gospel, around 50 or 60 AD, the Greek word Parthenos had changed meaning. Wow. Now we we've experienced changes of meaning, right? Yeah. Um, my my daughter was just in this play here at the church, and it was about time travel, and uh, kids from from nowadays from 2018 go back in time to the 40s. And they're talking wow. to this one little boy, and they say, wow, that's really cool. And the boy says, how cold is it? And they say, no, not <laughs> cool like in temperature, right? Uh, because the word cool has changed meaning since yeah, the 40s, yeah. right? It used to mean a temperature type thing, and now it means it's neat. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's rad. It's, uh, that's even a slang term, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that so, too. So, that but, too. But words change is what I'm saying. And, and we know that by 50 to 60 AD, when Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, the word Parthenos had changed from meaning a young woman to meaning a technical virgin. Mm, now let okay. that sink in. When God has Isaiah tell Ahaz this stuff, the word he uses doesn't mean technical virgin, it just means young lady. When the Septuagint writers translate it into Greek, the word Parthenos doesn't mean technical virgin, it means young lady. But the word changed within those years between the Septuagint and Matthew writing his gospel to where when he quotes the Septuagint word Parthenos, it now means technical virgin, meaning that God... Wow can put prophetic stuff into the text knowing that language is going to change and be able to explain exactly what happened with Mary in the technical virgin birth of Jesus. Wow. So we're That's a so, big deal. So you're saying here that the original context of the passage when it was written in Hebrew, uh-huh. this word Alma, when it got translated into Greek, that Greek word changed meaning, which therefore fulfilled a further prophecy of a literal virgin birth. You got it. That's so fascinating. <laughs> How is, like, again, this isn't just a, oh, he told the future. This is God's hand is in history, directing the language of people in order He's saying, to explain It's God how... flexing and saying, look at how powerful I am. <laughs> exactly I'm going it. to literally change the definition of your human language. Yeah. And use that to fulfill this prophecy. Yeah, you got it. That's How so crazy cool. is that? That's so cool. It's so <laughs> cool that God would do that. It leaves you more in awe that he would do that. So that Isaiah can be shown to be a legitimate prophet by saying there's going to be this kid born whose name's God's with us. Yeah. Which will also encourage Ahaz that God hasn't abandoned them and that they're not gonna, they won't be beaten by Israel and Syria, right? Right. Which also comforts the people of, of 
uh, Jerusalem who were following God at the time, who who, who God was protecting at the time, right? <clears throat> then you have um, uh, Matthew be able to quote that, saying Jesus is actually a further fulfillment of this, and the word now means a technical version, which backs up what the angels explained to Mary and what the angels explained to Joseph. She was literally a virgin, a technical virgin, not just a young woman who hadn't had a kid yet. Yeah. So, yeah, God's hand in all of that, legitimizing Isaiah's prophecy, comforting Ahaz, and then allowing Matthew to explain exactly what he meant with a word that people knew meant technical virgin to show who Jesus was. How do you not see God's hand in that? I mean, we serve, yeah. we serve a mighty God who not only directs the paths of men and nations and kingdoms, but also language. That's so cool. It is, man. It's yeah, such an interesting prophecy. So do we believe there are two virgin births in the Bible? No. Mm. But there definitely were two Emmanuels. One was yeah. a kid who was named it, and one was Jesus who literally was God with us. Yeah, that's so cool. It is, man. It's 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 just it's mind-boggling. It, yeah, it, this is just fascinating thinking through all of this and especially with Christmas coming up too and thinking this is the time that we reflect and we celebrate these things of knowing that God was so good to and it, he was so powerful and intricate into fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy that he literally changed the definition of language terms over different languages throughout yes. history to fulfill a prophecy of the forecoming of Jesus. Well, and then you even you can even get deeper into it because <clears throat> now obviously God knows and as Christians we're like, yeah, of course God knows the future, right? Yeah. But, but think about this. At the okay, at the time of this writing in Isaiah, the Assyrian empire is the top dog of the world. What happens in history is that Babylon takes them out and becomes the top dog. Then Persia comes in and takes them out as the top dog. And then the Greek empire comes in with Alexander the Great, takes over the world, forces everybody to learn Greek, which necessitates the Septuagint being uh, translated, right? Yeah. That's, that's the reason the Septuagint came about is because Alexander the Great made everybody learn Greek. And so the Hebrew scholars say, listen, we need to get a Greek version of the Old Testament. Wow. And so they translate it into Greek. And uh, then Jesus comes at the time when uh, the word means technical virgin, right? And this reminds me of Galatians 4.4, which talks about uh, when the time had fully come, right? At just the right time. When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. Wow. Isn't that yeah. interesting? And, and you go, what, what does it mean at just the right time? Well, I think there was a ton to that. I think that um, I always heard growing up, you know, the Romans had built really great road, a road system through the world so that the gospel could spread really easily because travel was made easier by Roman roads. Yeah. Which that makes sense. But also the word Parthenos had caught up to mean technical virgin. So that makes sense that it's a right time, right? Also, Greek philosophy had caught up to a place where God could explain himself in terms we understood, like in John 1.1 1, 1, where it talks about Jesus is the logos, right? Yeah, right. Uh, so, so Jesus did literally come at the perfect time. Yeah, no kidding, right? That's yeah, super it's, cool. It's, it's, it is phenomenal. What Galatians says about that, Jesus coming at the right time, is totally uh, true. Romans 5, 6 says the same thing. For at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for us, right? Yeah. At the right time. What does that mean, at the fulfillment of time? It means everything, the stage was set and everything was perfectly aligned up by God. 
And that's when Jesus came to, uh, to explain himself to us. Wow, that's awesome. Now, Tyler, an interesting yeah. thing, and I, I didn't talk to you about this before the podcast, but uh, I wanted to share it. Yeah, yeah. I was reading, and, and this is the thing I love about God's Word, is I, I learn new stuff all the time, right? And I hope you who listen to this podcast like never think, oh my gosh, Tyler and Robbie are just brilliant and they have all <laughs> these concepts. No, we study and we read other people's stuff, uh, and we're always learning. And as Christians, yeah. I think that's such a cool thing that we get to do, is that we always get to, to learn more about who God is and about what His Word says and about what He's trying to communicate to us through it. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's something as Christians, we all should do. We should love God with our mind, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he says that. Yeah, That's and honestly, I mean, I just learned a lot of this information today. Like, I knew some of it because uh, we talked about it before in the past, but like, yeah, I mean, uh, we're still learning all the time. And it's, it's uh, your relationship with God is uh, continuous and growing and through learning more and more as you go on in life. So that's, yep. yeah, it's important to remember. Um, so, so this is something that I learned recently. And mm-hmm. I think this is really interesting. Okay, so. All right, let's hear it. Going all the way back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, right? They, they, they eat the fruit from the tree that God told them not to. And then you remember there's the cursings, right? God comes and he curses the snake, the serpent, right? It says, on your mm-hmm. belly you shall go and eat dust all the days of your life. He says something really interesting here that I, I just learned uh, from, from uh, uh, the Moody Handbook of Theology, actually. I was reading that. And uh, in verse in, in Genesis three fifteen, when God's cursing the serpent, He says this in, in Genesis three fifteen, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Right? You remember this passage? Yeah, yeah. Then He says, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You remember that? Yeah, I okay. remember that. That's right. So I've heard a lot where people say, you know, when it says her seed. Seed is singular. It's not plural. It's not her descendants. It's not her kids. It's talking about a specific kid that's going to come, a singular one, right? And so most people think this is the gospel right here. This is the promise that God's making that he's going to send a specific descendant of Eve to come and crush the head of the serpent. And I agree with that. I think, yeah, that's Jesus, right? But this is what I learned in the Moody Handbook. The guy pointed out, I think his name's Peter Enns who wrote that, he said, do you notice that it says, I'm going to put uh, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It's mm-hmm. not Adam's seed. It's hers. It's the woman's seed. He yeah. says this is also a prophecy of the virgin birth. Wow, yeah, because it's just specifying that her. Mary is the singular. Her seed. Wow. It's really interesting, yeah. too, when you read Scripture and it talks about seed. Well, what else usually, would that be? That well, makes total sense. Yeah, because yeah. usually it talks about the man giving the seed, right? Yeah. yeah, right. It's kind of weird that he says her seed. And so, yeah, in the Moody Handbook Theology, he said this is the first prophecy of the virgin birth. Wow. Because it's specifically so cool. yeah. the woman who brings about the seed fascinating right i mean we all knew it was about jesus when hearing that but then to think too that that's a, of the virgin birth on yeah. top of that that's f- so cool <laughs> it is man wow, yeah. there's so much god's word is pretty phenomenal um wow. i don't know how people can read it and see what it is and not think there's something divine behind and it. and then that just makes me wonder too looking at these prophecies that came to pass and the way that god intricately 
fulfilled them. Uh, what that's going to look like for pro- future prophecy with mm-hmm. like revelation and yeah, well, and the stuff in Daniel, Ezekiel, the stuff yeah, about the yeah. future, yeah, yeah. Like what's gonna like? It's just fascinating to think of how what the prophecies that we are left with right now of what is to come, how those prophecies are going to be fulfilled, and what God's going to do with that. That's just so so exciting, and it, honestly, every time. Uh, that I study and research in prophecies and seeing, like, too, how not only what the prophecies are, but how the people at the time were uh, unaware of what was happening. And it makes me uh, self-conscious and think, wow, I really I really need to uh, put in some work and try to, uh, like, think about these things more. Because it's, it's cool, like, just fascinating to think of how God uses prophecy in so, so many intricate ways. Yes, yeah, and so- yeah, he does, and 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 seeing just seeing this virgin birth prophecy, I think that it can give me confidence that the other stuff he's promised to happen at the second coming of Christ, yeah, it's going to happen, man. Right? Yeah, it's going to happen. Well, that's the whole. That's the whole idea, and that, that's another part of the prophet testing, right? If yes. we see things that are coming to pass regularly, then we can trust that that is a true prophet, right? Yep. And absolutely. that's exactly what God's been doing throughout history is through these prophecies, he's showing us that he's reliable. And he's even showing us something that Ahaz didn't see. He saw that Isaiah was legitimate by this kid, Emmanuel, being born, but he didn't see how legitimate Isaiah was <laughs> speaking well, for yeah. the Lord. And the prophecy that, you know, 700 years later was going to be further filled up in Jesus. Yeah. I I, so I do want to mention um, th- this whole Isaiah... Uh, um, prophecy, virgin birth thing. I'm indebted to my uh, Old Testament Hebrew professor at Phoenix Seminary, Dr. Paul Wagner, for showing me this. Um, he explained yeah. this to us in class. He's written articles on this. This is in his book. Um, it is a phenomenal argument. And so for any of our listeners who want to get more into the technicalities of the Hebrew mm. and Greek language and see exactly yeah. how it changed, um, I'm going to put a link to uh, an article that you can read from my old professor, Dr. Paul Wagner. He's no longer at Phoenix Seminary. He's at uh, Gateway Seminary now. Um, but just really, man, sharp guy. Uh, but I will warn you, this is a this is a technical uh, scholarly journal <laughs> entry. Wow, yeah. And so just... Uh, Read it slowly, try to understand it, but it is it is such a great argument of of how the, the meaning of the word Alma into Parthenos changed over time. So that's uh, going to be on the from the Journal of Evangelical Theological Society, and I'll, I'll just put a link in the show notes for anybody who'd like to go and read further on that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Rob. Yeah, that's no cool. problem. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the, uh, the goal again of this podcast is uh, we just want to be able to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith. Well, it's good again, Tyler, being here with you today. I love talking about this stuff. We, w- we do want to wish you listeners Merry Christmas. Yes. This is Merry our last Christmas. podcast before Christmas comes. So have a great Christmas. Take some time to really enjoy and reflect on who Jesus is and uh, what his first advent, his first coming here meant for us and what he ultimately did for us on the cross. Yep. All right. Merry Christmas. Yep. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. We'll talk with you next week. You have been listening to Christ Culture and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.